Welcome to the Book of Mormon podcast, where it's all about uncovering questions, thoughts, and discoveries in your own personal Book of Mormon study. I know it seems crazy, but for over four years, I've been writing out the Book of Mormon, word for word, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph. It's amazing what we can learn when we slow down and give space for personal revelation and insights beyond our normal reading pace. I'm Susan Gardner, a convert, a cyclist, and a Zuma to eight amazing grandkids. Come with me as we unveil new perspectives and understanding as I continue to write out the Book of Mormon. Hello, everybody. This is Susan Gardner, your host for Writing the Book of Mormon, Episode 2. Just to start off with, can I just tell you how much I love the Inspired program, Come Follow Me? I picked up our manual and I thumbed through it. I looked in the table of contents and I noticed there's probably about 50 lessons in that manual. I continued to kind of thumb through it and I picked up a pencil and I made note of each lesson. And I noticed that in in 12 of those 50 lessons, they each encourage us to ask questions as we're studying the scriptures. If you remember last episode, we talked about how important it was to ask questions. So that was very encouraging to me how important asking questions is as we study the scriptures. I also noticed the remaining 38 lessons encourage us to record, write down any personal revelations, impressions, or spiritual thoughts we might have as we read through that week's assignment, which is what our topic is today about thoughts and how important it is to record those thoughts. I want you to know that as I have written out the Book of Mormon, it's been my personal experience following this advice brings truer understanding of what we're reading and gives place for the Spirit to teach us what we need to learn. For this week's podcast, I've decided to share with you three of those thoughts that I've written down in my composition books. Um, I looked through them and I decided which ones I should share, and, and they're not more important than the other thoughts that I've written down in those books, but these are three that I picked out I thought were kind of interesting. The first one is found in chapter 38 in Alma. If you remember, in this chapter, Alma is giving blessings to his sons, Corianton and Shiblon. Now, we all know who Corianton is. I think everybody knows who Corianton is, but what about Shiblon? What about that guy? Um, I want to start off to let you know that I love Shiblon. I believe that Shiblon can be overlooked a lot of times because his brother, Corianton, has a lot more drama in his life. And therefore, we get to have four more chapters of great gospel doctrine teachings that we can study in, in our lives to teach us more about the gospel of Jesus Christ because of his blessing to his son, Corianton. Nevertheless, um, I think Shiblon really has his life together. I admire him very much. Now, in verse 4 in particular, there are hints that some of his life experiences are not that positive. Uh, He too must have had valuable lessons we can learn from, even though they're not recorded. You get ideas in your mind that this guy's really kind of gone through it a lot, and he's still very faithful. Even though it's not mentioned about him a lot of places in the Book of Mormon, um, he is still a very, very valuable example of how we should live our lives. So anyway, here's, here's the thought I wrote down about Shiblon. I like to imagine Shiblon as my son. His father, Alma, describes him as having amazing traits. He lists traits such as steadfastness, faithfulness unto God, diligence, patience, and long-suffering. These kinds of traits come from difficult times. 
being in bonds and being stoned for the word's sake seem like he more than qualifies for having his fair share of trials. How else can we develop traits like patience and long-suffering if we are not given opportunities to cultivate those attributes? I'm reminded how wonderful you can be even if you are not well-known. The second thought was quite eye-opening for me. It's based on what we read in Mosiah chapter 27, verse 32. If you remember, it takes place after the conversion of Alma and the sons of Mosiah. They began to teach the people and share their experiences preaching the word throughout all the land. Mormon describes this time in the lives of these young men as being in much tribulation, being greatly persecuted by those who were unbelievers, being smitten by many of them. I read that verse again, let that sink in, and jotted down my thoughts. This is what I wrote. Alma and the sons of Mosiah were probably leaders among the unbelievers. After all, one was the son of the current high priest of the church, and the others were sons of the reigning king. To have them on your side must have carried some real weight and stature. Alma was unprecedented in his success when it came to leading hearts away from the truth and helping to destroy the church. They were all described as wicked, idolatrous, and the very vilest of sinners. Now they are missionaries for the believers? I can hear the name calling already. Traitors, betrayers, backstabbers. Alma and his friends' change of heart and conversion did not go over well with the unbelievers. They were persecuted and physically beaten. When I gave some real thought to all that was happening in these verses, I gained a greater appreciation for Alma and the sons of Mosiah. As I wrote those impressions, it opened my eyes when I imagined how demanding it must have been to persist in the process of living a completely different lifestyle while being persecuted and even physically harmed by people you may have considered at one time your closest friends. The third thought I'd like to share is found in Alma chapter 56. It is one of my most favorites. To give a brief background, the Nephites are in trouble. Because of subsequent wars defending their newly converted Lamanite brothers, they are now exceptionally low on soldiers. The Lamanites are again threatening war. The Nephites need help. The converted Lamanites, now called anti-Nephi-Lehi's, are tempted to break their covenant not to pick up their weapons and shed blood, but they sincerely want to help with the Nephites to defend their liberty and to protect their lands. If you remember, instead, thousands of Lamanite young men, not under the same covenant, stepped up and volunteered to fight in the place of the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. It's at this point I began to anticipate reading the great story of the stripping warriors, how they fought a great battle, outnumbered and outskilled. Nevertheless, with God's help, none were killed. I love that account. However, I discovered a great service this faithful bunch of young men rendered long before this well-known battle, a kind of service I could personally relate to, and it touched my heart. In Alma chapter 56, Helaman is writing to Anipus, recounting his experience leading the young warriors. I especially like verse 9. Helaman prefaces the account by saying, Here's the one thing in which we may have great joy. First, just to be silly, I like to imagine Helaman saying the equivalent to today's phrase, Here's the thing. In his letter, he proceeds to set up the situation for Anipus as they arrive in the city named Judea. 
In verse 15 and 16, it reads, And these are the cities which they possessed when I arrived at the city of Judea. And I found Antipas and his men toiling with their might to fortify the city. Yea, they were depressed in body as well in spirit, for they had fought valiantly by day and toiled by night to maintain their cities. And thus they had suffered great afflictions of every kind. The people they found were what? Depressed in body as well in spirit. Go ahead and ask the question, why? Because they had fought valiantly by day and toiled by night to maintain their cities, and thus they had suffered great afflictions of every kind. The people of Judea were exhausted, hurting, but committed. In verse 17, their attitudes and convictions are described as valiant because, why? They were determined to conquer in this place or die. Can you stop and think a moment about these, how these people felt? They had given their all and had planned to give their all until they could give no more. Then comes the part that chokes me up a little each time I read it. Therefore, you may well suppose that this little force which I brought with me, yea, those sons of mine, gave them great hopes and much joy. That short sentence, it says so much, doesn't it? When Helaman and his sons arrived in Judea, they brought the people great relief. They could see help and much-needed support had arrived. Have you ever felt like you fought valiantly by day and toiled by night, suffering great afflictions of every kind to maintain what you value? You're exhausted physically and prayed out, yet will not quit. Then comes unexpected relief, the kind of relief you could only dream of. Now it's right in front of you. That relief brings back your hopes so much so that you feel beyond happy. You feel joy. I felt like that as a first-time new mommy. How I love that sweet-faced, crying all the night, eating all the day, non-sleeping, wonderful bundle of joy. I had fought valiantly by day to keep her fed, burped and dry, and toiled by night, fervently praying that she would stay asleep longer than 30 minutes at a time. To be honest here, I thought for sure I would die just trying to keep her alive. I was wasted, ravaged, and worn out. I needed relief. My helpful husband was away at school during the day, so we were left to fend for ourselves until he returned earlier that afternoon. I remember that day. It was a little before 12 o'clock. I was still wearing my old blue spit-up stained house coat rocking the baby mindlessly in the rocking chair. She had finally fell asleep when I heard a knock on the apartment door. Before I could think of pretending I wasn't home, in walked my mom and grandmother. We are here to help, they announced. Now give us the baby and go take a nap. Everything will be just fine. I don't remember putting up much of fuss, just handing over the baby, falling into bed and crying myself to sleep with a heart filled with gratitude, relief, and joy. When I recognized the scripture as the stripling warrior's first act of service, the Spirit taught me an important lesson. I was reminded service to others doesn't always have to be winning a battle beating our enemy against all odds. It can be as simple as bringing relief to those who are weary and in need of renewed hope. Elder Richard G. Scott advised, Thoughts, impressions from the Spirit, enlightenment, new understanding, or revelation, however you describe your experience, pay attention to it and write it down. 
I found when I paid attention to the thoughts that I had and gave place to insights I received, I learned something I hadn't known before. These small insights and discoveries are nothing earth-shattering, but because it was discovered through the help of the Spirit, these passages will never be read the same again. The thoughts that come to your mind when you read should be recorded. Mark Twain is alleged to have said, When I was 14, I was amazed at how ignorant my father was. When I became 21, however, I was startled at how much he had learned in seven years. In many ways, I can relate to this story. When following Elder Scott's advice to write down and record thoughts and insights, as I wrote out the Book of Mormon, I thrilled at the new understanding I received from something I had read many times before. It wasn't that the truth had suddenly materialized in that moment. It had always been there. What had changed was this time I was ready to learn something new. Like Mark Twain, at times we feel like we might have heard and read everything having to do with the stories in the Book of Mormon. We might feel we are waiting for the rest of the people around us to catch up. But after we've been taught by the Spirit and had our eyes opened, we soon realized we are the ones that have a lot to learn. During those moments, we must remind ourselves, it's not important to discover it first, it's more important to discover it for yourself. Slow pace, give space. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend who also loves the Book of Mormon. And if you're on Facebook, be sure to like our page and join our community. You type in writing the Book of Mormon dash discussion group. This will keep you up to date and current with new topics and conversations surrounding our study. I do appreciate you, and I hope you have an amazing day.